Um, listen, if, uh, um, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be jumping into that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to borrow one of ours, but we also have the scripture up on the screen. Um, and if it's your first time here, uh, we want to welcome you and say, so glad that you are here. Uh, one of my main goals, one of all of our main goals is just simply to, to point you back to who Jesus Christ is and, and to, to help you take your next step on your spiritual journey. And we're all in different places and, and in different stages of our lives. And so we're hopeful that today um, that, that you could you could receive something to help you take whatever that next step is for where you are. Um, when uh, when I was in college and then later in seminary, I had a number of great professors. But one of uh, one of the professors that I remember the most and my fa- one of my favorite classes with was, was with Dr. Charles Ryrie. I don't know some of you may have if some of you who were older, you may have a, a, a Ryrie study Bible. But he was one of the first guys to write um, notes and put them at the bottom of a, a Bible. And he was a former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, pro- former professor of the college that I went to, uh, Philadelphia College of Bible. And he taught our four-year doctrine class. He flew from Dallas all the way to Philadelphia every Friday so that he could teach our class. And then he would fly back again on Saturday. And what's funny is, so this was a um, this was an end times. It was a book. It was about prophecy. It was about sort of some of the final things we needed to learn. Our fourth year of of like prophetic stuff. And it's funny because I, I knew I was being taught by an old timer when he informed us that we're not going to have like multiple choice questions that you're going to have to write in all your answers. You're going to have to explain in paragraphs. You're going to have to write essays and all that. And then he told us this. He said, um, if you misspell any words when you write, I will mark you off for those. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Nobody ever did that before. Like you have to write an essay if you misspell a word, you know, that's OK. Uh-uh. He said, if you misspell words, you're going to get taken off. And so I, I, I thought that was an interesting, um, that, that's just the way it was. This was the way that he always taught. And I enjoyed this class tremendously. But one day after class, after teaching, he invited me and a few other people out to go out to Friendly's for ice cream. And so we went to Friendly's for ice cream. I think at the time it was kind of funny because we all are ordering what we're going to get. And I think I'm not sure if it's still there or not, but I think he got an old timer Sunday, which I thought was kind of funny. And we just sat there and talked. And he began to just ask us questions about ourselves and finding out about our lives. And, and this is a guy who had always taught all of this great stuff. And he was the guy who wrote all the notes in the Bible. And, and here he was talking. And then he begins to share Just some things that were near and dear to his heart. Very different from the whole classroom setting of doctrine and teaching and remember this and memorize these things and all this to to the things that mattered to him in life the most. And what he cared about for us as we're just trying to live our lives for for Christ. Well, in, in Romans chapter 15, this is exactly what Paul does. Is he, he basically comes and he, he sits down at Friendly's and he says, now let me just talk to you. He's been spending um, just the, for the entire book so far, he's unpacked the gospel. He, he's talked about who Jesus Christ is. He talked about who we are in our sin. He's answered arguments about grace. He's explained how followers of Christ are no longer slaves to sin. 
how they're no longer under law, but instead God has put his spirit within us. And it's by grace that we're saved and it's through grace that we're sanctified. It's not through all the the works that we try to do to improve ourselves, but it's God who works in us. And he answers questions about God's sovereignty. He answers questions about predestination, foreknowledge, all these big, you know, questions that people sort of debate over. And, you know, things about can a, can a Christian ever lose their salvation? And his answer is no, because you're being held by God himself. And he tells you the answers about, uh, you know, questions about Israel. Well, wait a minute. If God made all these promises to Israel, didn't some of those come untrue? And he says, no, one day Israel is going to be brought back into blessing because they're going to trust Jesus Christ as their savior just as well. And up to chapter 12, all Paul did, other than like one or two times, he just gave instructions. He never gave us anything to do. He never told you to do anything. When you read from Romans 1 through, through the end of 11, you don't have any commands of how to live. He just wants you to know what's true. He just wants you to know that if you're a Christian, this is who you are. These are the things that are true about you and the reasons why they're true about you. And, he, and, and then what he does in chapter 12 is he starts telling us how we should live. Because of what we know is true. And he begins to give us commands and instructions just left and right and left and right. It's just all it's all about this is how you have to live. And this is what we've been going through in our series called The Walk. We've been going through chapter 12 and we're going to go to 16. Well, now we're in, in chapter 15 and it's just about how to live as a Christian. And so now kind of like Dr. Ryrie at Friendly's, Paul sits down and he orders an old timer Sunday and he starts talking about some of the things that are on his heart. He's talking about his plans. He lets you know what he wants to do, things he's hoping for, and how the church in Rome can, can help him out in, in ministry. And he just, he just starts speaking from his heart. And his heart is sharing the gospel, sharing the good news about Jesus with people. With people that are so far from God, they've never heard, they've never heard anything about who Jesus Christ is. They don't even know that people use the name Jesus Christ as a cuss word. They don't, need, they don't even know the name. They have no idea whatsoever. And he shares how he wants to, to do this and how he wants the people in Rome to do the very same thing, to minister to those people who are in need and to share this good news with people who are far from God. So I want to go through this and I'm going to attempt something that I haven't done for a while. We're going to go through quite a long section and, and hopefully we can go through it quickly. I've been going through Romans fairly slowly, fairly, I, I don't know, I've been looking at the details. Now we're going to kind of fly through, we're going to look at some things. So he he starts off in verse 14 and he's talking about the Christians in the Roman church. And he could be saying this to you. He could be saying this to, to all of us. He says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Three qualities that he that gives him confidence. Gives him confidence that they are mature believers. He says they are full of goodness. That's the idea of ethical goodness, doing the right thing, good qualities. And then he, they have, they're full of knowledge, they're filled with knowledge. But this isn't just that they have lots of information, but the idea is that they have a knowledge with a commitment to the truth. That if it's true, this is how they're going to live it out. It's, it's not a matter of just theoretical here. It's, if it's true, this is, this is the way we live. And then he says they have a real fellowship and accountability. And basically he just describes 
This is what a mature follower of Christ looks like. And so this is very simple. But can you imagine the impact that churches would have on the world today if they were composed of people who were morally and ethically clean and, and, and pure? If um, they, they thoroughly understood biblical theology, but, but it wasn't just something that they knew, but they actually applied it to life and everything that they did. And if they were able to just educate one another and talk to one another, and it wasn't so much that, you know, they go to the pastor, they go to the supreme leader of whatever it is, but instead one another, they talk to one another constantly, they hold each other accountable, that they're continually talking about who God is and how each other is doing in their lives. I don't know if you know this, but as a pastor, this is one of the things that if you're a pastor, this is what you really kind of give your life to. This is, this is what I have given my life to. If there's one vision that I have for, for my church that is kind of higher than everything else, um, it's not like one day we're going to hopefully have a building project and we're going to build a multi-purpose facility just right over there, um, which, a.k.a. that's a gym, but it's a multi-purpose facility. Or, you know, how we're going to develop the land that we have over there and use it for more parking and all that. It's, it's more than that. If I have a, a, a vision that sort of defines everything, it's a vision to see our church slowly transform one person at a time. That each of you would be full of goodness. That you'd be filled with, with knowledge of the things of God. You'd know what is true. You'd live by it. And you'd be able to admonish one another in in love and and you would grow through that. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. Do, Do you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, do you love the Lord enough to talk about him just naturally and often? Do you love the Lord enough to, to talk about Him like it comes in your conversation every day? You're with another person who's also a Christian and, and you just, that's what you're gonna talk about. Do, do you love other people around you enough to bring spiritual truths into daily conversation? You ever taken the time to just kind of throw out sort of like a spiritual bomb, throw it on the table while you're eating dinner or lunch, maybe with your coworkers or whatever it is, and, and you just you throw it out there to, to just kind of have this purpose-driven conversation that's not about the things that are just passing away, but it's really about the things of God. And, and unfortunately, I think there are many Christians who they, they're happy to limit their conversations to their hobbies. They're happy to limit their conversations to the games because, you know, we like football or hockey or basketball or whatever. And we, we talk about that and that's what we talk about. Or, or even, which is funny, talk about politics. The, the Christians get together sometimes and they talk about they're more they're more comfortable talking about politics than they are about who Jesus Christ is. And what God has done for them and talking about the things that you've understood about who who is God. Do you care about other believers that you see enough to, to kind of point them in the right direction when you see that they're, they're, they're deviating? They're maybe they're deviating from it or maybe you haven't seen them in a while and you wonder where they are. You maybe haven't seen them in church. You used to sit next to them. They were, you know, and where did they, you know, I haven't seen them in a couple of months. Do you, do you care for others enough to just point them in the right direction and, and talk to them and say, hey, how are you doing? And reach out to them. Because see, this is what he's talking about. 
And I, I know I have brothers and sisters in this room here who they will do that for me. That they'll come up to me and they say, hey, Kyle, how are you doing with this? Or Kyle, hey, when you, you sounded a little bit, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for them that I'm, that I'm held accountable. But are you, are you that way with, with one another? That's, that's really the question. And Paul says, I'm confident about you talking to the church in Rome. And he says, nevertheless, brethren, I've, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace of, because of the grace given to me by God. So sometimes Paul was a little bit bold. But what he's trying to do is remind them and help them retrace the steps of their own Christian journey, their own journey in following God from the point of when they had no idea, uh, the point where they, they did not believe in Jesus Christ at all to the point where they're mature. And he walks them through the steps of remember where you were. Remember what you believed. Remember what Jesus Christ did. Do you remember why he did that? And he's, and he's calling back to mind all of these things. As he is an apostle, he has a responsibility to, to just basically tell them the full counsel of God, you know, to, to all the churches to present this. And he says, I do this that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, and that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There's actually a lot in this verse right here, verse 16. Paul, Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Many other times he mentions about how he's an apostle to the Gentiles, he's a teacher of the Gentiles, he, he goes to the Gentiles. It's really kind of funny. All the other disciples, all the other, Jesus' other disciples, they all went to the Jews. The Gentiles got Paul. That's basically what they got. And what's interesting is, is Paul always goes into a place and he would go to the Jew first and then he would go to the Greek. But he was called the apostle to the Gentiles because he is telling these, these people, these foreigners, they, they, they believed in idols. They believed in all sorts of things. And he's telling them about Jesus Christ and he's bringing them to faith. And, and, he, and he talks about, he says this idea, I'm, I'm a minister of Jesus Christ. This word minister, this is, our, this is sort of our Greek word for the day. Uh, this is where we get our word liturgy. It's this word liturgio. And, and all it simply means is the, the idea of ministry, but it's like performing a ministry like a priest is what it means. The next word where it says, um, the word where it says after it, ministering, um, that I'm a, a minister the, to Jesus, I'm a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. It just simply means to perform a holy service, to, to perform or to act like a priest. So the net Bible on the bottom, I say, it says, I, I serve the gospel of God like a priest. So, so, okay, what does that mean to serve, you know, like a priest? A priest is somebody who intercedes on behalf of, the, of other people to God. He's a, he's a person who intercedes between the people and between God. He's often, uh, you know, giving offerings to God for the people. He's instructing people. He's trying to bring them closer to God. You know, in the Middle Ages, the church entered into an error um, it was called sacerdotalism. That's a fancy name for, for saying um, you can't come to God on your own. Uh, if, if you want to come to God, what you have to do first is you have to come to a priest first and let the priest be the one who does all the things. If you've got sins, you can't just talk to God. You've got to come to the priest first. If you wanted anything at all, you would come to the priest first. And it's the priest who offers the offering. It's the priest who instructs the people all the time. Um, it's the priest who's saying, oh, I'm the, I'm the one who does it. Um, and the re- reformers... 
said, no, that's not true from what Scripture says all Christians are priests. Listen to what Peter said, one of Jesus' apostles. He said, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. This label priest, it's given to everyone who's a follower of Christ. It's, it's, not a, it's not a position, a, a person that is like the head of a church. It's, a per, it's, a, it's something that is given to every Christian. So you don't want to get this confused with what we see in some Christian denominations. And you also don't want to get this confused with what you might see in other religions. Because other religions have priests. The context here is, is in, in the Jewish priesthood. The background is, is Judaism. And so what did the priests do? They offered sacrifices on behalf of others. They interceded for others. And so what does that mean? It means we've got a purpose. We go to people who are far from God. And we try to bring them near to God. It's as simple as that. You go to people who are far from God and try to bring them near Him. This is what Paul did with all of the churches that he established. When he went places, there weren't churches. When he left, there were. He brought people who were far from God together and he says, let me tell you about who Jesus Christ is. And in verse 16, he says another thing that's interesting. He says, basically, he says, you're my offering to God. I've given you my own life. So that you could have spiritual life. And I want you to be acceptable to God. I want you to be holy. And and it's the Holy Spirit who is going to make you that way. He's going to change you. So Scripture says, or Paul says in Romans, there are essentially two offerings that a follower of Jesus, that a believer, gives to God. The very first one, the, the idea, it's kind of like a priest offers an offering to God. Well, what he says is that every believer offers these things to God. The very first one is in Romans 12, 1, where where he says, Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice. There it is. That you would present, you would offer yourselves as a sacrifice. Holy, alive, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. We give our bodies, ourselves, back to God. Jesus died so that we would be free from sin dominating us, that we are no longer slaves to sin, so that we could give ourselves right back to God. We could give ourselves right back to Jesus and let Him live for us. And He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to offer yourself right back to Him. But the second offering that He talks about, the second offering we're bringing to God is here in in verse 16. It's when you decide that you're going to tell people about Jesus. You, you tell people about Jesus at work. You tell people about Jesus at school, at college, in the neighborhood, on the team. You tell them at the club. And, and then when they decide that they trust Jesus Christ, they follow Jesus Christ as their Savior, then they become an offering to God that you bring. That, that that's like a person you say, this is my offering to you, Lord. That I, I shared with them, and, and this, this, is, this is your person here. You disciple them, you teach them, you help them, you, you help minister to them, but see, that's your offering. 
That's an offering to God. That's how you, how you serve as priests. I, I think about some, some people that, that in my life, I, I got to see their lives transformed. In the Air Force, there was a guy named, named Corey, and I remember him. He, he worked in the, the hospital. I, I come up and I get my medical records, and he's up there, and he comes and he's just staring at me, looking really weirdly at me. I had this Christian T-shirt on that said the Lord's Gym or something on it. Some of you might remember something, a shirt like that, but he's looking at that trying to read my shirt. Because this guy is just searching, you know, he does not know what he believes. And I end up meeting him the next week. We start talking. I invite him to a camp out. We come to a camp out. And then we invite him to church. And within one week, he, he trusts Christ. And we start to see his life change. And he, and he comes and he, and he tells me, he says, hey, Kyle, I found God. And he's just all excited as we're eating lunch. And about a year or so later, he comes to me and he says, you know, what, Kyle, I realized I didn't find God. God found me. I was the one that was lost. He wasn't the one that was lost. I think of another another girl. Her name was Lauren. And she uh, in high school, I think at age 16, she got pregnant. She had a kid. I was at the time I was a minister or a pastor to college students. And so she came to to the college group. Because she was college age, but she had a kid named Jeffrey who was like three or something already. And I remember that she, she's, just, she's just lost looking for something. And I remember sitting down with her and we're just going over scripture. And as we're talking, I'm talking with a group of people. And I'm looking around and everybody's kind of doing kind of what you're doing, right? But there's this one girl in the middle and, and it's like tractor beam. She will not take her eyes off of what I'm saying. It's like every word. It's nothing that I was doing, but she is just solid learning. And for the very first time, she comes to me afterwards. She says, I think I get it. I, I have been missing it this entire time about who God is. I always thought of God this way. I didn't understand about Jesus Christ. And she and she changed. I think about another girl named Joanna. And, and what she revealed to me later on, as, as I knew her after a couple of years, is that she was just utterly depressed, just in, in total depression. And when I mean total depression, you, you, it's at the end. And where she had basically decided that morning um, that she was going to go home and she was going to kill herself. But her, her parents had said, hey, why don't you try going to that, that church, that big church over there and see if they have anything for you know, people your age, college students or something like that. And so on her way to kill herself, she pulled into the parking lot and she came in and she asked and they, they took her right where we met. And we, we welcomed her and we were just having like a, a class. It was a Sunday morning, like Sunday school class. And she came and she sat in there. And, and for the, for, she just sat there. Nobody, she didn't tell anybody. We were welcoming to her, all this kind of stuff. Over months of time, we come to find out, we come to meet Joanna and see who she is until finally one day she places her trust in Jesus Christ. And then she lets us know and she says, Kyle, I don't know if you know this, but actually I was on my way to go home and kill myself that day because I had no purpose in life. And I think about this and there's nothing special that I did. I was just doing my normal thing. I'm, I'm talking about who the Lord is. And I, and I could go through. There are other people that I could say, people locally, people that are in this church that we, we could talk about. But the, the issue is, is this. Who have you talked about? About who Jesus is? Who have you told? 
I mean, does it matter to you? Did it matter to you? When you first believed about who Jesus Christ was, is that a big deal at all to you? Did it change your life? Because when you do that and you talk to somebody and you share your faith, that is your sacrifice to God. The gospel being delivered to other people and letting God transform their lives. But when their lives are transformed, that is your offering to God. I think that this is the highest joy that you could have in your Christian life. Is that when you get a chance to talk with somebody about Jesus and they get it. And they trust Christ and they begin growing. And, and you know, they're, they're like asking you questions and you're, you're, you know, sitting there, you're excited. They're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm asking so much. I'm like, no, no, we're, we're good. You keep on talking. And it's the greatest joy that you can have. And I think that there's a problem in, in many churches. I think why you've got churches where there are people who are, um, they're, they're grumbling. Maybe they're malcontented in the church or, or they, they just want things to go their way. And the reason why is because... They're not involved in that kind of a thing. They're not giving themselves away in mentoring. They're not giving themselves away in discipleship. They're not busy. If you're not busy doing that, then, then you, you just think all you're thinking really is about yourself. But if you're busy mentoring and you're giving yourself away and you're telling other people about Jesus, it clarifies your vision. It reminds you of what is really important. And the stuff that you're getting for Christmas is not important in comparison to that. And the stuff that's going on with whatever it is at work or whatever it is anywhere else that, it, it, you know, somebody choosing to, to, you know, you know, choose this kind of color of a carpet here instead of what you would have preferred. That's nothing because you care about who Jesus Christ is and you want to see that person's life transformed. And it gives you a vision for what's really important. You know, I think of the um, the uh, the guy who he's either called the Garrison demoniac or the Gathering demoniac, but but it's the guy who who basically he was full of demons. He used to be chained, but he broke the chain. He couldn't be chained anymore. And Jesus and the disciples go over there and they see him and Jesus talks to him and, and you know, and he says, you know, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion for we are many. If you remember that story, if you haven't heard that story, first of all, it's it's like creepy, right? But it's like exciting, like what happens next? You want to know. And so this kerosene demoniac, Jesus cast the demons out of this guy. And this guy just loves Jesus. I mean, just wants to stay with Jesus. And as Jesus and the disciples are going to go, get, they're going to get back in the boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's almost as if the, the, the demoniac guy, that, that he's like in the boat. It's like, come on, let, let's go. I'm going with you, right? There, he's excited. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You stay here. You go tell everybody what happened. You know what that guy's theological education was? Nothing. You know what he had to say? Look at what Jesus did for me. That's it. The look at what Jesus did for me. That's all he Jesus set me free. That's all I can tell you. And they're like, yeah, he certainly did. You used to be crazy, man, you know, all that. And now you're talking about you're crazy in a different way now. <laughs> he just needed he just knew that Jesus had set him free and he needed to tell somebody because that's what Jesus said to do. If, if Jesus has set you free, who have you told? Have you told people? 
Who are your disciples? Who are you mentoring? That's your offering. That's your offering back to God. And see, for some of you, you're like, yeah, but Kyle, you don't understand. That is so intimidating. If I were to try to do that, I would set back the Christian faith 1,500 years. I would totally do that. And you know what? I, you know, I understand. But see, if you, if you read the, the verse, it says that the Holy Spirit is the one who works in you. It's not you. It's just you being available to do it. See, it's, it's a what God, this is what God asks of you. He doesn't want perfection. He wants you to speak up. It's not about ability. It's about availability. You've probably heard people say that before. It's the Spirit is the one who does the transformation. If you want to, something that thrilled me over the last month, just, I just thought this was just so wonderful. A few weeks ago, I taught just a two week mini series called The Deception of the Nations. And, and at the end, I basically said, listen, um, all right, I should probably tell you what the deception of the nations is. It's basically the idea of this, that ever since the beginning, since Genesis 3.15, God made a promise after Adam and Eve sinned. And that promise was this, the serpent that, that caused Eve to, to be deceived and Adam and Eve sinned. God told the serpent, he says, the, the woman will have a seed. There will be the seed of the woman and he will crush your head. And from then on out, the, the serpent, the devil, is going to now look for who's that person who's coming who's going to try to crush my head because I'm going to try to snuff him out before he ever gets there. And so that's what the, the messages were, were basically about. And after I talked that series, um, I, I basically said this. If you end up talking with people about the stuff going on over in Israel and over in Gaza and, and the, the anti-Semitism, if, if that comes up, Point people back to what you just heard. Just talk about the fact that, well, you know, the scripture actually talks about this. Talks about that Satan did not want the Savior to come. He's trying to stop the Savior from ever being born. Hey, listen, it's Christmas time. We've got a picture of it up here. It's not exactly accurate. And this is kind of why we put the the, the wise men over here. All right. But the wise men come later on in the Christmas story. And when they come first, they go to Herod and they said, who have you heard about the king? He's in the stars and all that. And Herod gets all freaked out. And then Herod decides, I've got to go find out whoever this person is and I want to kill him. And he goes and sends the the soldiers to Bethlehem to kill all the children. Listen, this is very real. You could you could just bring this kind of stuff. This is this is what's true. Well, you know, the truth is that Satan has always been trying to stop God from fulfilling his promise. You could just bring that into conversation very, very easily. Well, two people contacted me after that week, after, actually a couple of weeks, and they both told me, they say, hey, I, I want to let you know. Um, I was able to talk with somebody about that whole thing, the whole seed of the woman thing. And, and they, they told me about it. And they were asking more and more questions. I'm like, yes, that is just so wonderful to hear that people are actually doing that. They're able to share the gospel. Listen, you don't, you don't have to have some special ability to, to talk about who Jesus is. You just Paul says all God wants is your availability. He wants your mouth and he's going to do the rest. And so. Christmas is coming up. You going to have any conversations about Christmas? You should. You know, it's, it's not all about the presents and the shopping and Walmart's parking lot, all, how bad that is, or Target, or whatever it is. But you bring up some of the things and you relate it to today. 
Well, Paul says in verse 17, he says, therefore, I, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. And what he means is he says, I have reason to glory in Christ. I have reason to boast. I can boast on what Jesus did through me because it was up to me. None of this would have happened. But because Jesus used me, it's not based on my oratory skills. It's not based on my didactic techniques. I get to boast in Jesus because everything that happened, it all goes back to him. It's God doing it. He says, for I will not I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to... Um, I always have a problem with this. How do you say this word? Illicorum. I'm Illicorum. <laughs> You ever, you ever get to, you know, somebody has you read a section and they give you the portion that has all the, the names of people you can't pronounce. I, I do this in the college student. When, when we go downstairs, I'm like, I give them all the hard names because I don't want to have to do. Illyricum. There we go. From Jerusalem around about to Illyricum, I fully preach the gospel of Christ. You know, it's funny. Twice Paul actually uses this phrase, signs and wonders. And he, and he basically says, this is a proof of my apostleship. If you want to know that I really am an apostle, this is one of the proofs. It's the signs and the wonders that, that I have. It's part of an authoritative gift of God that, that he uses to, to be able to point people to Jesus. It's funny because later he uses the same phrase, signs and wonders, in Second uh, Thessalonians to talk about how the Antichrist will deceive people in the end times. That these signs and wonders are now going to be used to deceive people um, away from Jesus. But, but the point is, what he's saying is, Paul didn't produce the miracles. Holy Spirit did it through him. Gave him this gift to be able to share the good news of who Jesus Christ was. By the way, do you know where Illyricum is? Some of you are like, wow, I have no idea. where. Let me show you where Illyricum is. You see where Italy is there in Rome? And you look kind of to the upper right-hand side. That whole area is Illyricum. What he's saying is, listen, I have, I have been talking about Jesus all the way from Jerusalem, all around the area, all the way up to Illyricum. And he says, I've fully done it. In other words, there's no place that hasn't heard anymore. I've gone to all the places. And, and they all know who Jesus is. And what's amazing is that I don't know how many years that took, but it is totally amazing what God will do with a willing person. That whole territory is, is told about Jesus because Paul's like, I'm just going to go up there and I'll show you in another slide in a little bit of all of his little missionary journeys and stuff. But, but the question is, what will God do with a willing person? And then the question comes to you and it says, are you willing? Are you willing? Because if you are, be prepared. God will use you. You know what? You know what all this did for Paul's confidence? He he talked about Jesus. God used it to change people's lives. I mean, the very first time where he starts, he probably shares. And now they hear about Jesus. He's probably just thrilled, just pumped up. So excited. He says, I got to go tell more people. And I got to go tell and, and that whole thing of just him telling people and them in, in the communities that he went to that they're forming churches. What does that do for his confidence? Well, what it does is it gives them a greater vision when you share with people and they trust Christ. What it does is it gives you a greater vision. It gives you confidence because God uses you. And verse 20 he says, and, and so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel. Not where Christ was named. Lest I should build on another man's foundation. 
But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And to those who have not heard, they shall understand. In other words, but Paul, his confidence is this. I've just decided I'm going to go to places where people haven't heard at all about him. I'm going to go to places where they didn't know. That's where I'm going. Paul's mission is I am going to lay the foundation for the church for the Gentile work. God basically called him out. First Corinthians 3.10 says, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but let each man be careful how he builds it. He says, I'm a master builder. I'm laying the foundation of churches. And then I'm going and I'm trying to lay the foundation in other places. He went to regions that had never heard. You know, when I was called to come to Vestal, somebody already got here before I got here. Uh, this is this is not really my calling to go places where it, where he's not known. But what's interesting here is Paul's even got his own Bible verse that he quotes. This is like he's like this is my verse. And it's the promise and the motivation to go out and do this. And this is this is his quote. He says, you guys have like a life verse. Some people are like, oh, yeah, my life verse is, you know, Proverbs three, five and six or it's John three, sixteen, or whatever it is. This is Paul, like his life verse kind of here. He's, he's holding on to this to whom it was not announced. They will see. And to those who have not heard, they will understand. That's his verse. He's like, this is how I know I can go places and tell people about Jesus. And he's going to make them understand. For years, you know, I've thought about this as far as a pastor of a church here. And uh, I've always wanted to be a part of a church that grows, not like just from transfer, because this is what happens is that people go to one church and then they decide, oh, I don't want to go here anymore. I'm going to go to this church. And then after a while they leave and then they go to another church. And then it's just they have transfer. And so what we, we call that in church, what we call this transfer growth. Okay, Um, and it's always been a part of my heart that I hope that our church grows, not because of transfers, but because people are telling their non-Christian friends about who Jesus is and inviting them. Say, come on, come on to church. Come with us and learn, learn more about who Jesus is. Uh, And by the way, if you don't know this is I hear this, but I hear people saying, I don't know any non-Christians. If you don't know any non-Christians. That's a big problem. Uh, um, you can't obey God. If you don't know any non-Christians, you, can't, you better start meeting some, some non-Christians. And I, I pray that God is going to use Grace Point to reach people who are far from God. But what I've seen over the, the years is that what, I've, I've seen that many people come to Grace Point, either who they have not been equipped at other churches, where they don't really understand the truth of the gospel, they've not been taught, they've come here and they're like, I never, I never heard any of this before. And I'm like, okay, glad that you're here. Love the fact that you're here. They haven't been equipped. Or there are people who have been badly hurt of the former church and they're looking for a place to come and to heal and to grow. And, and so what I would say to you, if you, you come in, you're in those situations, we are so happy to have you come here and to grow with us. But we can't stop there. We've got to be having conversations with people about who Jesus Christ is, who are non-believers, people who are far from God. Well, listen to what Paul continues in saying in verse 22. He says, for this reason, I've also been much hindered from coming to you. 
Early in the book of Romans, he said, I've been hindered for a long time. I wanted to come to Rome and I haven't been able to. Which says it's because I've been planting churches and that's the reason why I haven't been able to come to you. But now no longer having a place in these parts. What that means is uh, there's nowhere around here that hasn't already heard about Jesus now. So I've got to keep going further places. Now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. I need some new territory. Whenever I journey to Spain, I'll come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and be helped on my way there by you. If, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So Spain was thought of as the ends of the earth. You couldn't go anywhere else. After that, it was the, it was the ocean and nobody knew. I mean, boats that went out there, they just, they, they didn't come back. Uh, that was it. It's the furthest possible place that you could travel. There's a place in Spain called Tharsis, which is on the edge of, of Spain. And if you, if you know your Old Testament, there's an Old Testament book called Jonah. And Jonah the prophet was running away from God. And when he's running from God, he wanted to go to Tarshish. Well, Thorsus is probably this place. This is the farthest place that Jonah could run. It's the last place where land was and going away from God. And see, Paul is thinking, I want to go there to Tharsis. I want to go to Tarshish. I want to go to Spain. And I think that he thought that if he could get to the farthest parts of the earth and he could tell everybody that he knew of as far as the earth was, then maybe Jesus Christ would return because now everybody's heard. This is his thoughts. And he says, but but now... I'm going to go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contributions for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. So in in the book of Acts, Acts is the history of what God did in, in birthing the church and creating the church. And in Acts 2, the church is born and there are there are these devout Jews from all over the world. And they all come back to Jerusalem. And the reason why you know they're devout is because they came to Jerusalem. And here they trust Christ. And they hear this message about Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that many of them are from all these other places. Many of them decide, I want to stay here. I want to stay here in Jerusalem. And what happened is the local people, the local Jews who were believers, they cared for them and they brought them in and said, okay, well, we'll come and we'll help you get set up. Will help take care of you. They brought them into their home. But, but also those Jews that trusted Jesus Christ there in Jerusalem, um, they were shunned. And they were marginalized by the other Jews who had not. The, the, the Jews who, who they, they did not want anything to do with Jesus Christ, what they would do is instead of, instead of treating them as just normal people, they would shun them. They would not buy anything. They would not sell anything. They would not trade. They would not do any business whatsoever with them. And because of that, uh, they became very, very poor. Paul also talks about something that happened at that time is that there was a um, there was a famine that happened in that part of the world. And of course, that's now going to strain everybody and that's going to strain the church. And so now this the church in Jerusalem is very poor. And yet it's because of the church in Jerusalem that Paul was sent. They're having a struggle. They're dealing with the financial troubles. And they say here, Paul, we're going to send you go off. Go and tell these Gentiles about who Jesus is. So the church in Jerusalem sends Paul, even though they're very poor. And and because of that, 
Paul's able to start all these other churches. And so Paul is bringing an offering, a literal monetary offering from these churches in these two other lands, from Macedonia and Achaia, to help the church in Jerusalem. And he says, he says it pleased them indeed, the, these churches there, and they are their debtors, meaning these churches are the debtors to the church in Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. This is just a principle that applies throughout the New Testament. Um, he, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 11, if, if we sowed spiritual things to you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? Galatians 6, 6. And let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is how God provides for ministers, for missionaries, for those who are going out and doing the, the work of God and get, getting their needs met. And he says in verse 28, therefore, when I have performed this and I have sealed to them this fruit, he calls their offering, he calls it fruit. It's part of their growth. That's who they are. He says, I'll come to you by way of Spain, by way of Spain. I'm going to go to Spain, but I'll stop in Rome. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of blessing in the gospel of Christ. So question, how did it work out for Paul? This is his plans. This is Paul's vision. This is his heart. He's finished eating his old timer Sunday. He's been talking about it. How did it end up working out for Paul? Well, let me show you kind of a quick map of, of, of what happened. Because things happened very differently than what Paul thought. And I don't know if you can see this. But I want you to pay attention, if you can, to the purple arrow and then later the green arrow. The purple arrow is the third missionary journey. And that's the one that he's on right now as he's writing to the church in Rome. And he's in Corinth. So if you can find where it says Achaia, almost in the center of the slide, that's where Corinth is. It's in Achaia. And that's where he is. He's been hanging out there for one and a half years. And he wrote to the church of Rome from, from Achaia, from Corinthians, or from Corinth. And there he went to Ephesus, and then he went back to Jerusalem. And when he does that, there's a riot in the temple. He goes in the temple. There's a riot. They want to kill him. He's taken into custody and he's brought into the fortress of of Antonio. And while he's there, there's an attempt on his life and he's informed about it. So what he's done is he's he's taken with a company of soldiers and horsemen. And then he's brought to Caesarea where he's almost forgotten about in prison. He's in prison now for two years. And the political leaders at the time, they're sort of using him as a pawn to try to maybe get some benefit from the Jewish leaders or to try to get a bribe from him while he's there. And he, he realizes during those two, those two years he's, he's there, he realizes um, nothing's happening. So unless I appeal to Caesar, nothing's going to happen. And so what he ends up doing is, is when the civil rulers refuse to touch his case, he, he appeals to Caesar to be seen by him. That's kind of like jumping it up to the Supreme Court here. And, and he has this centurion guard with a number of soldiers, and, and they take him and they board a boat that goes to Rome. And the ship goes from around Jerusalem, it goes from, from Israel to Cyprus, and then it ends up in a hurricane. And then there's a shipwreck and it lands on Malta, an island called Malta, where they end up staying for three months during the winter time. And then finally, they get on another boat and they go to Rome. And there, Paul's given some freedom where he's still under arrest, but he's under house arrest. So he can have a house, he can rent a place, but he's right there with the centurion with him. Maybe chained to the centurion, maybe not. I'm not sure how that whole thing worked. 
But he's there in Rome for two years. You get to Acts chapter 28, you find out he's there for two years and he still hasn't been seen by Caesar yet. And and during the two years, I'm sure he met many of the believers that that he writes to in Romans 16. He meets the people that he'd never seen before. And then after his appeal to Caesar, it's presumed that he's freed. And we don't know really what happened after that. We don't know if he ever made it to Spain. What we do know is that he was uh, imprisoned again. And he wrote 2 Timothy before he was executed. So that was one of the final things that he wrote was 2 Timothy. And he knew that, that his time was over. And I don't even know if he ever made it to Spain. But listen to what he asked for. And he says, these are my dreams. This is what I want. And now, therefore, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. It's interesting. This is the second time he begs. He begs earlier, now he begs. He understood the kind of prayer he needed for going back to Jerusalem. He, he knew it could be cantankerous. He knew it could be a problem. It ended up he was involved in a riot. He was put in prison for years in order to go to, to Rome. He begs them. Can, can, I, can I jump on this? Can I beg you? Could I beg you? Is that okay? Could I beg you to pray for me? To pray for Josh and me as pastors of your church that are trying to do the best that we can. Can I beg you to pray for your elders and for the leadership in the church? Can I beg you to pray for one another? Because of all the hard things that come on through life. I guess I'm not asking you if I can be. I'm begging you. Would you pray? Satan is always ready to harm us, always ready to cause pain and problems, always ready to interrupt a sermon with a phone. (laughs) That's a joke. It's okay. Happens to every one of us. Well, he says in verse 32 that I may come to you with joy in the will of God that might be refreshed together with you. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He gives three prayer requests. One is that he wouldn't be harmed by persecuting. And and the word here, uh, to those who don't believe, the word is unpersuadable men. That he won't be harmed by unpersuadable men. It's not just that they don't believe, it's that they're unpersuadable. Um, He he prays that he's able to give the funds offered in the church to Jerusalem. And he prays that he would be able to make it to Rome. To be able to be refreshed in them. So so let's, let's talk about some takeaways. What can we take away from this, from his heart here? First thing that you need to remember is this, that every one of us is a priest and a missionary. And you're called to share your faith. Do you love the Lord enough to talk about him naturally and often? Start by talking about him with other believers. And then move to start talking about him with people who are far from God. Because if you love them, you will talk to them about who Jesus is. This is part of your offering. This is part of what it means to be a living sacrifice. It's not just about Christianity. It's not just about you trying to be a good person. And the struggle to be a good person. It's about trying to be people who are bound for hell and and to get them to meet Jesus. That's why we're here. That's that's what we're up to. And so do we care for other people to to talk with them about this? We we should. So share your faith. Secondly, share your resources. 
God provides for missionaries through churches and through people like us. Everybody who is a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you owe your faith to a missionary somewhere. Somewhere along the line, there was a missionary who came along and because of them, you believe. Um, we've got missionaries in Bangladesh, Brian and Kim Gregory, who they're going through um, this, this great monsoon flooding in their region. They reached out to us um, like three weeks ago and they said, we've got an immediate need. You know what their immediate need is? They said, could you send us money? Because we want to help four churches in the area where the monsoon has struck. And we want, to, we want to reach the families that are hurting through the monsoons. And we have this flood rehabilitation kit that contains soap and rice and clothes and salt and a blanket and a mosquito net to pre- prevent malaria. And we want to give these to 350 families and we want to tell them about who Jesus is. So what do we do as Grace Point? We give $5,000 to bring the gospel to families that are in need that need to hear about Jesus Christ. But what we need to share our resources. Thirdly, share the concern. Do you have a concern in your heart for people? And if you do, you share the concern by praying. You pray for people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. This life, it's a spiritual battle. I think everybody knows that. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to show you. It's a spiritual battle. How many people do you know who do not know Jesus Christ? What do you think? How do you pray for them? Do you pray for them? Because here's the thing, you know that if they die without hearing about Christ, without receiving Christ, they will go to hell. According to Jesus. It's according to him. It's not according to me. It's according to Jesus. So here's my my thing for you this week. Will you talk about Jesus with one person this week? Will you talk about Jesus with one person this week. Nod your head, if you will, remembering the people behind you see. All right, I've got some head nods. Listen, if you end up being successful, it would thrill me so much to hear about it. I don't mean successful that they're like, oh, I'm a a Christian now. No, successfully that you did it. And they, they heard. I would love to hear about it. It would encourage me tremendously because, see, that is your offering to God. That's part of my offering to God. Well, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for for just showing us this table talk with Paul where he's sitting down sharing his heart with the people. He's not busy giving instruction and talking about how to live strategically and, and how spiritual things work. But instead, he's just talking about life and what he hopes And his dreams, and Lord, we don't know if he ever made it to Spain, and and yet I look at all the things that you did through the Apostle Paul, and it's just, it's absolutely amazing. And so I pray, Lord, would would you help us surrender our hearts and surrender our lives that we might be used by you in that kind of way? That in 2024, that is up and coming, that we would be faithful with sharing about who Jesus is, and we would see more than ever before people coming to faith in Christ, that we would be doing more more baptisms here because people just simply want to follow Jesus, and that we would present to you an offering in this 
time and in this age where we see it growing just perceptively farther from you every day. Lord, thank you for this testimony. Thank you for this challenge. I pray that you would help us to share our faith, that we share our resources, and that we would share the concern that we have by praying that we would be a people who pray. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good to see you, church. Have a wonderful day. Hope to see you again next week. You're dismissed.